If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 128. I told the earlier service that really that last song we sang sums up the message this morning so well that really don't feel like I need to come up here and preach it again. But if you were here when that service got out, you know that I did anyways. And so you all probably don't need it as much as they did, but still we'll go ahead and go through what I've got here anyways as we look at Psalm 128 together this morning. We're starting a new series this morning, The Happy Family. And so I asked this morning, just right off the bat, what is it that makes you happy? I've got a coffee mug at home that I drank my coffee from this morning. I'm thinking about that. Coffee is one of the things that makes me happy. But on that mug, it says, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you ice cream, which is pretty much the same thing. (laughs) I think there's something about that that rings true, doesn't it? But we also know that whether it's money or it's ice cream, those aren't the recipe maybe for lasting happiness. And so what is it that makes you happy? And what does it mean for you to be happy? Is it just about your own emotional satisfaction or is it something else? Is it something bigger? We all want to be happy, right? Whether it's the most committed follower of Christ or the most avowed atheist, people want to be happy. But what we often find as we pursue happiness is that if each of us is defining what it means to be happy on our own terms, then my happiness can quickly come into conflict with your happiness. And when that conflict arises, what am I going to choose, right? Am I, what are you going to choose? Are we going to choose our own happiness or the happiness of those around us? And so we asked this morning, what does it mean to be happy? Just the use of that word has changed dramatically over the course of time. Researchers a few years back, they looked at books that were published in the United States from the year 1800 all the way up to the year 2008. And what they found over the course of those two centuries was a huge shift in our understanding of happiness. They searched for the phrase happy nation, and then they searched for the phrase happy person. And so kind of to our question, what does it mean to be happy? Is it just about what makes me happy or is it about our collective happiness? What they found was that in 1800, authors were far more likely to write about the happy nation than they were the happy person. But you might not be surprised to learn that over the course of the years to come and all the way up to today, the use of the word happy has changed and shifted so that now we're much more likely to write or to read about the happy person than we are the happy nation. That corresponds to a shift in our culture where we see that all the advertisements that we're targeted with, the music we hear, the books we read, the movies we watch, the cultural lens through which we view the world is one that encourages us to ask, what makes me happy? So this morning, what makes you happy? If we had time to go around this morning and for each of us to answer that question, I'm confident we would hear a variety of different answers. But we'd also, I think, probably hear a pattern that emerges. It's a pattern that is embedded far more deeply within us than the cultural bent that we have toward individualism and personal satisfaction. If we started to talk this morning about what it is that makes us happy, we would hear about family, 
We would hear about friendship. We would hear about relationships. We would hear about parents and children and siblings, about how closely our happiness is tied, not just to me always getting my way, but to our sense of family and our sense of belonging. Because even when the cultural air we breathe is saturated with self-autonomy and personal fulfillment, the image that we bear from creation tells us there's more to being happy than just getting my way, always having what I want, always satisfying my desires. We are created for relationships, a relationship first and foremost with our creator and then with those around us. And the first opportunity that we have to see that in our lives every single day is in our families. I say that this morning, as I say that the reality is many of you are looking back at me or maybe looking away from me this morning with an objection, thinking family is not what makes me happy. Because the painful reality of our world and sin is that family, like everything else in this fallen world, has been distorted. Just think about Genesis 3. What happened there with Adam and Eve? They believed the lies of the serpent, they sinned against God, and then Adam did what? He blamed it all on who? Eve. Throughout the book of Genesis, we read the story after story of families that are marked by terrible tragedies, horrific abuses, shattered relationships. And so understand today that as we begin this series on the happy family, I understand that those are not words many of you would ever put together, not with your family. But also this morning, understand that God is not blind to the brokenness that marks so many families. His word is full of honest portrayals of families that experience brokenness and pain and struggle and strife. His word is full of those families striving for happiness but falling woefully short. And so this series, The Happy Family, isn't a call for us to ignore real hurts or just to pretend everything is okay in our lives when it isn't because that's not the path to happiness. This is a call for us to see our families, the good and the bad, through the lens of creation and redemption. And so as we talk over the next eight weeks about the happy family, yes, we're going to be speaking of our shared aspirations because whether our family life to this point elicits feelings of happiness or heaviness, we all want the happy family. And for some, that might sound like an oxymoron or an impossibility. For others, it might sound like a given. But the happy family is neither of those things when we see it through the lens of God's word. We're going to be looking at family from all kinds of different perspectives and experiences over the coming weeks because that's how we come into this place this morning. Some of us single and some of us married. Some of us parents, some grandparents, all of us someone's children, And in Christ, all of us part of a new family. But at every point, we want to come to see our families, even to see this family, as we'll see next Sunday, as God sees it. So what does it mean to be happy? More to the point of Psalm 128 this morning. What does it mean to be the happy family? Let's read it together, and then we'll walk through it together this morning. Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 128, I think, is pretty clearly a psalm about family. What's maybe less clear as we read it, and with most of our English translations, is that it's also a psalm about happiness. Because it begins in the ESV, which I read from this morning, not with the word happy, but with the word blessed, as does Psalm 1, as do the Beatitudes, as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. What do they start with? Blessed. But in each of those places and many others throughout the scriptures, the word translated there as blessed could just as accurately be translated as happy. If you're following along in the CSB translation this morning, that's the word that you see in your copy of God's word. But I think as we see those words, blessed and happy, if you're like me, those don't always strike me as synonyms. As we use them, they usually aren't. I've often heard this idea that Happiness is tied to our changing circumstances, while joy is found in the unchanging character of God. And that's why happiness is fleeting, but joy is forever. And that's certainly true of a certain kind of happiness, but it doesn't seem to match up with the psalmist's vision here of the happy family. There's also this idea that you could either be happy or you can be holy, but you can't be both. And again, There might be moments in our lives when that's true of a certain kind of happiness, but it isn't true of the kind of happiness the psalmist envisions here. This is a happiness that's neither self-indulgent nor self-defeating. It's neither fleeting or fading because while there might be in our culture some daylight between what it means to be blessed or what it means to be happy, the truth is that the happiness that each of us are really after in our lives, the happiness we were created to experience and to walk in is only found in a relationship with the God who made us. So what does it mean to be the happy family? It means a lot of things, which we're going to see over the next seven or eight weeks, and I'll try not to get into all those this morning. So just in the way of introduction to today, in the way of laying a foundation, what we see in this psalm is two things it means for us to be the happy family, and that is that, first of all, the happy family fears the Lord. The happy family fears the Lord. When we talk about the family, I don't know where your mind goes. As I prepared this week, I found it going a lot to the family Easter photos that I saw this past weekend filling up the Facebook timelines and filling up my Instagram feed. And as I thought about those Instagram-worthy photos, those pictures of smiling faces, families together, many for the first time in a year, there's something important that came to my mind, and that is this, that family can take a lot of different shapes. There's the average American family, which the U.S. Census Bureau defines as two people are more related by birth, marriage, or adoption and residing together. They say the average American family consists of 3.15 people. So according to that definition, there is no statistically average family unless somebody can explain to me what it means to have 0.15 people. And so we know, right? Some of us have a large immediate family. Some of us have smaller families. Some of us live alone. Some of us have 
smaller extended families. Some of us define our family as those to whom we're related by birth, marriage, or adoption. Some of us point to others with whom we've built deep and lasting connections over time. And I say all that this morning just to say this, that as we begin to talk about the happy family, some of you are going to be tempted to check out this morning and over the coming weeks because you're going to say, my family doesn't fit the mold. There's something that you think sets your family apart from that picture that pops into your mind when you hear the word family or that you think pops into the minds of others when they say the word family. Maybe it's about decisions you've made or things in your past. I don't know what's gone on in your lives. But I'm going to ask you this morning, as we go through this time together and as we go over these coming weeks, I'm going to ask you not to check out, but to lean in because our mission here isn't to paint some picture of the family that fits our idealized version of what a family should look like. And it certainly isn't that you would feel like your family is any less significant than the families you see around you. Our mission is to cast the vision of the happy family we see on the pages of the Bible and to call us to walk in step with that vision. And so this morning, if you're married and have 1.15 children, then this series is for you. And if you're single, this series is for you. If you're a new parent, or a grandparent, this is for you. If your family experience has been positive and happy, it's for you. And if your family experience has been everything but happy, then this series is going to be for you. And I can be sure of that this morning because I know that we serve a God who is for you. And his word is for you. Look at how the psalm begins. Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Everyone, right? It doesn't say happy or blessed are some who fear the Lord. The psalmist describes a blessedness, a happiness that's available to everyone who fears the Lord. The statement is on the one hand, it's universal in scope. It is for everyone. It's available to everyone. But on the other hand, it is also specifically applied to those who fear the Lord. And so it connects God's blessing to fearing him. Just the first verse of this psalm, it prompts us to ask a couple of questions. First, what does the psalmist mean here when he talks about blessed or happy? We've already hinted at that this morning. Or maybe yet, better yet, what does the psalmist mean by blessed is or happy is? But then a second question that comes to mind as I read and wrestled with this text this morning is, what does it mean for us to fear the Lord? Because just as happiness sometimes seems incompatible with our experiences, when we face tragedies or trials or go through storms in our lives. Happiness also seems incompatible with the idea of fear, does it not? And so how do we make sense of these words here, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord? We make sense by looking here at the context of these verses. And so while we're tempted to come to this psalm with our own ideas of what it means to be happy or blessed, the psalmist defines it here as fearing the Lord. And he goes on further there in the next part of verse one to describe it even more and they say it is walking in his ways. A biblical commentator named James Boyce explains the fear of the Lord in this way. He says, God must be taken seriously. He must not be trifled with. He must be as he actually is, the center of everything we are, think, or aspire to do. He must be our starting point for every project, the strength we seek for every valuable endeavor, the one we earnestly desire to please and honor as our goal. The fear of the Lord 
isn't the type of fear that robs us of our happiness. In fact, it's the only way to happiness. If God is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all we see, if he's the giver of life and if he is determined in his love to redeem a people for himself, all of which the Bible reveals to be true, then he is the only right object of our worship and our reverence and our fear. He is worthy of our faith and our trust and our obedience. And so where else would we expect to find happiness but in him and walking with him? The psalmist doesn't describe a fear that runs and hides from the Lord, but a fear that walks with God and walks in his ways. That's what the happy family does. It's what we're to do even if the rest of our family does not. Fear of the Lord looks like us faithfully depending upon the Lord and then obeying his command. The psalm right before the one we're focusing on this morning, Psalm 127, we read it a minute ago. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Together, Psalms 127 and 128 kind of show us two sides of this coin. They set up this perceived tension that we face in our lives, that we experience every day of our lives between the fact that we are completely and totally dependent upon God for everything that we have and everything that we are able to do. And then also, though, our responsibility to walk rightly and to work diligently. Psalm 127 isn't a call to laziness, saying, It all depends on the Lord, so just go sit down and don't do anything. It's a call to faithful dependence upon God, to the kind of work that trusts God to provide and trust his sovereignty rather than our own ability to try to control our lives and everything about our families. But then Psalm 128 too says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. There's a tension Which one is it? These two Psalms, they describe this great tension we feel in our lives, in our limited understanding of the world in which we live, that God is sovereign, he is all-powerful, and that we also then, though, are responsible for the choices we make in the lives that we lead. Proverbs 1-7 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trusting God and walking in his way, fear of the Lord, it doesn't answer for us every question that we have about how things happen or why things are the way that we are with your family or with the family of someone else. Fear of the Lord doesn't answer every single question we have right here, right now, but it is the beginning of us understanding the way God is at work in the world and seeing that he is at work doing something bigger than we are able to fully grasp and explain. The brokenness of our world Our finite understanding of it means that the details of verses 2 and 3 in Psalm 128 are not automatic. They're not guaranteed. As with other wisdom literature we see in the Bible, like the Proverbs, they're generalizations about how God created the world to work. The psalm, it's painting a picture of the general result of what happens when we fear the Lord and when we walk in his ways. It's a picture of how God provides and he rewards the diligent work of his people. A strong work ethic doesn't guarantee that you will always have an abundance of food. The reality of sin in a fallen world is that work can be difficult and produce injury. In other words, we would say that every person who needs help, every person who needs 
something to eat in this life, in this world, it isn't because they didn't want to work or they were lazy. We also know this, not just from verse 2, but also from observation that you're far and away more likely to have enough to eat if you're willing to work hard than if you aren't willing to work at all. God works and provides as we are able to work diligently and seek after him. That's the message of verse two. And then verse three is similar. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Like verse two, this is the language of blessing and happiness. It's not a garden growing out of control. It's the description of a person and a family that is flourishing and growing. A picture of a marriage that produces life-giving joy and children full of energy. It's not a description of the perfect family, but it is a depiction of the happy family. One that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And so as with verse two, this is an automatic guarantee that your family is always going to turn out exactly how you expect it to or how you want it to. But as with verse 2, we know from God's word and our own observation what happens when we walk away from the Lord and his ways. We've seen how abuse or infidelity shatters families. The family that fears the Lord and walks in his ways, that depends upon the Lord and trusts his provision, knowing that we need his mercy and his grace every single day. The happy family is the family that walks in God's ways and works for his glory, trusting that his way is better than my way, even when my way looks more attractive in the moment. That might not always produce what we think the happy family looks like. It might not look like the photo that we're ready and eager to post on Instagram. Because at times it might look like the family that is grieving, but is grieving with the hope of the resurrection to come. It might look like the family that is right in the middle of a storm, unable to see the way out at that moment, but keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because the psalmist tells us happiness or blessedness is in the trajectory of our lives. It's in the long haul, the course of our lives, more than it is the circumstances of a single moment. It's about where our hearts are set. Are they set on our own personal satisfaction, getting our way, or are they set on trusting the Lord and walking in his way, trusting that he has the one who made us and knows us better than we know ourselves and is able to provide for us and to work all things together for our good. The happy family fears the Lord and walks in his ways. It's the first thing we see in this psalm. The second is this. The happy family reflects God's goodness. Family that walks in the blessing of God's ways and flourishes as a result of that isn't just a reservoir of God's goodness and blessing. That blessing that God pours out that he talks about, the psalmist does in verses one through four, it won't be contained within the walls of our homes. But God's blessing will flow through the family into the community around it and flow through the family to the coming generations. That's the prayer of verses five and six. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The psalmist knew what continues to be true today, that your family fearing the Lord and walking in his ways will have impact beyond the walls of your home, that your life of faith is also a witness to all who see it, that God is good 
and faithful. The prayer here isn't just that your family would prosper, that the entire city would prosper, that the community around you would benefit from your family walking with the Lord and seeking his ways. These words point us beyond our tendency to put ourselves or even our own families at the center of the universe. They remind us that God is at the center of all things and that he's up to something much bigger in the world that includes us but isn't just limited to us. They remind us that we should work to help those around us see the way of those who fear the Lord and that they would see the blessedness of walking with him. And so our families, our lives, they aren't just about the one, two, three, four, however many people live in our homes that share our roof. Our families are about us walking with the Lord and being so content and so happy in him that others see his goodness. That's not something people are going to see just on a single day at a single moment. It's something people are going to see over the long haul, which I think is good news for us because it means that our families aren't so much like a snapshot that we try to capture in a still photo, but they're more like a story, a story of people who are growing up, a story of people who are growing old that points to God's blessing and points to God's favor and grace on his people. And if you turn to an isolated page in that story, you might find a family that is marked by failure or brokenness or conflict. But if you turn to a different page in that story, you might find a family that is marked by smiling faces and dreams that have all come true. But neither of those pages tell the full story of the happy family because the happy family's story is the story of a God who brings light even into our darkest moments. Story of how God is able to put the pieces back together when our lives seem so broken that they will never make sense again. It's a story of how even when we hurt those we love and are hurt by those we love most, God loves perfectly and he's able somehow to work all things together for our good. That's the story our families tell when we fear the Lord and we reflect his goodness. A story that's told not so much through our words, but through the trajectory of our lives. That even though we're blown off course at times and for a moment we might veer off track, we keep coming back to a path that says louder than our words could ever say, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Many biblical scholars believe that the primary use of these psalms in this section, the songs of ascents as they're called, that they were used on the trip that people would make to Jerusalem as they were on their way to the temple to worship. Some people more specifically point to the return of God's people from exile as they returned to Jerusalem as the occasion when they would have sang these songs together. That's always a period that I find fascinating because sojourners and exiles is the way the New Testament describes us, right? describes Christ's church. And so as I thought about that, the families living in exile then, God had spoken these words to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 5 through 7. He had spoken these words to his people, saying, Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not increase. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
I think this is what the psalmist was also praying here, that the person and family who fear the Lord would be a people who are a blessing to the community where they find themselves. It's the prayer that by our faithful dependence on God and our simple obedience to his ways that others around us would benefit and that generations would come to know that God is at the center of the happy family. Jeremiah's instructions were simple, right? They weren't complex. They weren't all that elaborate, build houses, plant gardens, find a wife, have children. Basically saying, just live your life, trust the Lord, walk in his ways, and just that will have a powerful impact on those around you as they see in your closest relationships the goodness of God, the grace of God reflected in your lives. So what does it mean to be the happy family? Happy family fears the Lord and reflects God's goodness. In other words, the happy family defines happiness and family differently than the culture around us. Happiness isn't about my individual success or prosperity or power, and neither is family. Trying to make it about those things will not lead to happiness, and the purpose of your family is not your individual happiness, even if it is a major source of that happiness, because when you make your family, whatever shape it takes, all about your personal satisfaction, one thing you won't find is happiness. And that's the paradox of the happy family. Blessedness or happiness isn't about your fear of your family not turning out the way you expect it to or the way that you hope it will. Happiness is found in fearing the Lord and trusting in him. It isn't about you getting your way, but it's about learning to walk in his way. Happiness isn't found in you always getting your way, but in you finding God's way and walking with the one who made you. Your happiness is not all about you, and your family isn't just about you either. It isn't even just about the people that you call your family. As we see in this psalm, it's about pointing those around you to something much bigger that God is doing in the world. Our families make terrible gods because we fall short and we let each other down. But when God is at the center of our lives and our families, there aren't many places in the world where the goodness and grace of God is reflected more powerfully, where his grace and forgiveness are more consistently on display than in our homes as we walk with one another through the ups and downs of life. And so here's the invitation this morning. Not offering today a list of 10 tips for a happier home. As we look at the happy family in the coming weeks from the perspective. And so we hold our families not to God's ways and to God's standards, but to ours and place upon them weights that they aren't intended to bear. In the book, The Storm-Tossed Family, author Russell Moore writes these words. He says, if we seek first the kingdom, we are better able to seek the welfare of our families. If we love Jesus more than family, we are free to love our families more than we ever would have otherwise. If we give up our suffocating grasp on our family, whether that's our idyllic view of our family in the now, our nostalgia for the family of long ago, our scars from family wounds, or our worries for our family's future, we are then free to be family, 
starting with our place in the new creation family of the church. I hope that you'll be with us in the weeks to come as we talk more about what the happy family, the blessed family looks like. But this morning, I just ask, will you entrust your family? Even your idea of what your family is, will you entrust that to the Lord? Will you commit to seek his way rather than your way, his plan rather than your plan? And this morning, I would ask if you've never trusted in Jesus and made the decision that building your life on him and around him is the only place for you to build, the only safe place for you to walk in your life, then I would invite you to trust in Jesus today. I would love to share more with you as we close in a minute about what it looks like for you to have a relationship with Jesus. If you're with us online this morning as well, then you'll see ways that you can respond on the screen where you can text us or contact us if you need to make a decision and learn more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And I would invite you to do that. The church family, I would invite you this morning as our invitation, as our response this morning, I invite you to pray over the coming weeks. Commit to pray beginning today, beginning right now for your family and for the families of those who are around you. So just look around this morning, take a mental note and commit to pray and ask God to make your family a testimony to his faithfulness and to his goodness. Ask him to pour out his blessing and his grace on you and your family for your shortcomings and then also so that others would see his grace and would come to to walk with him as well. Will you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the conclusion of our time together this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Pray today, God, that we would be included among that everyone. That we would be a people who fear you, who keep you at the center of all things, the center of our lives and the center of our families, the center of our church family, God. that we would fear you and honor you and glorify you in all things, God. Trusting you and depending upon you. Lord, that our families would be places where we would, would flourish and where each of us would flourish, God. That our families would be places where you were able to, to pour out your, your grace and your blessing God, in a way that is a testimony to others around us of, of your goodness, in a way that overflows from even from our homes into those around us and that flows not just even from those that are a part of our families today, Lord, but that those for generations to come, as the psalmist says, your children's children, God that they would know you and worship you as we are able to do here today in this place. God, I pray that you would take not the, any of the words that I've said here today, Lord, but that you would take your word, that you would take this psalm and that you would, by your spirit, apply it to our hearts this morning, that we would 
fear you and walk in your ways and that we would respond right now in this moment as you're leading us to, as you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.